0: If you want to take out the Bible that you brought with you, or the Bible that's there in the pew, and open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. If you are using the pew Bible, that's page 685. And as you're opening up there, getting to Matthew chapter 13, I want to ask you, I don't even have to ask, you all have heard the expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Right? can't teach an old dog new tricks. If there's someone in this room that hasn't heard it, the meaning of this saying is, you can't make people change their established patterns of opinion and behavior. And for many of us, this is as, as close to a universal law of human nature as you can get. That, as the saying goes, many of us are convinced, becomes even more ironclad as a person gets older as they age, right? Well, you're not gonna be surprised to hear me say that Jesus would respectfully disagree with this wisdom. Here in Matthew chapter 13, as we've been these last few weeks, as he's revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven through seven parables that build upon one another, Jesus isn't just providing us with a description of the kingdom. He's extending an offer, an invitation, calling us to be changed, to yield before the grace and glory of God's reign. Still in Peter's house, having earlier dismissed the crowds at the shore, Jesus is now about to close out this block of teaching about the kingdom of heaven. But before he concludes, if you have your Bibles open, verse 51 in chapter 13, he turns to his disciples, he turns to us, and asks quite pointedly, have you understood all these things? Have you understood all these things? With this question, Jesus is provoking us to think back through all he has taught us. So let's consider where we've been. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed. Like a seed that is sown in the ground, the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. The good seed of the kingdom is sown in different kinds of soils. But though the gospel of salvation goes out and is shared, is spread to all, not everyone will bear the fruit of the kingdom. However, the harvest will still be plentiful, we have learned, because despite human resistance, by his grace, God will bring the growth, as much as even a hundred times a fold of what was sown. Like wheat and tares that grow side by side, believers and unbelievers will live side by side as the kingdom comes. No one will escape the long and wide dragnet of the gospel of Christ, however. There will be a reckoning. A final separation and judgment between those who rely and follow the goodness of Jesus and those who continue to cause sin and promote evil. The reality of grace will not negate the promise of justice being done in the kingdom of heaven. And even though both of these first revelations that Jesus has shared with us previously might cause us to step back and maybe take pause, maybe be concerned, even though three out of four soils will reject the seed of the gospel, even though weeds grow up in the midst of the tares, Jesus has also taught us we need not doubt the presence and dawning of the kingdom. Appearances can be deceiving like an infinitesimal mustard seed that gradually emerges to become a majestic tree that dwarfs all others, like a pinch of leaven or yeast that is worked into a mountain of dough, transforming the dough and giving rise to fresh bread. The kingdom of heaven will spread. The power of the spirit works. Christ is victorious. God's reign will be revealed. Our faithfulness comes out of our anticipation and trust that God's word will work, that Jesus is enough that the kingdom is here, that the kingdom is coming. Finally, and therefore, we have learned, this kingdom, like an unknown treasure stumbled upon and discovered in a field, or the finest pearl found after an ardent search, is priceless. It must not be underestimated. The gift of the kingdom is one of immeasurable value. Though it cost us everything, knowing the king, being a part of the kingdom is worth more than anything else in the world. For it is our healing, it is our life, it is our salvation. Have we understood all these things, Jesus asks us? And we, like the disciples, as we nod our heads and answer yes, Jesus offers us one last parable. And so with your Bibles open, I invite us to have ears to hear. Let us hear what is known as the parable of the storeroom. Verse 52 in chapter 13. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One verse. Keep those Bibles open, though. One verse, but a lot here. It's interesting, though, because even though this is the pinnacle of Jesus' soliloquy, this eighth and final story doesn't get much play in the pulpit or in Bible studies. I would venture to guess that many of you don't even, didn't even know it existed. And maybe the reason for this is because compared to the rest, the seven that have come before, this last story, can we be honest, is kind of boring and bland. It lacks perhaps the everyday connection, the dramatic tension, if you will, of tales of a farmer and his crop of weeds growing in the midst of tares, of mustard seeds that shock and surprise us, of fish that are caught and then thrown back in, and unexpected treasures hidden in a field. And yet, what I want you to hear this morning, what I want you to see, is in Jesus' summary of his teaching here in Matthew chapter 13, there is more, as always, than meets the eye or the ear. If you're looking at just this one verse, if your Bibles are open, notice that in the parables that we've looked at thus far in this series, all that have come before, Jesus has shared with us about the kingdom, what the kingdom is like. Hence, the kingdom of God is like Jesus always begins. But Jesus never particularly discloses how to get there, how to access the kingdom, how to participate in the reign of God in Christ, how to immerse ourselves, how to be overtaken and guided by the gracious influence and saving movement of our Father's reclamation of this world. He doesn't tell us how to get there until now, until this last parable. If you're looking at it, notice the subtle but decisive shift. This is no longer a parable about the kingdom of heaven. It is a parable about being a disciple of the kingdom. Your NIV translation uh, may read as as you heard me say it, but it can also be read like this. Therefore, every teacher of the law, every scribe who has become a disciple... Here it reads, who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, meaning that is what a disciple is, someone who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. But Jesus here is giving us a parable about being a disciple of the kingdom. There's this shift. And to start with, Jesus compares the disciples, us, to scribes, teachers of the law. Therefore, every teacher of the law, every scribe who has become a disciple, Now this is interesting because we typically associate scribes or teachers of the law as part of the company of the bad guys, right? The bad guys who are always giving Jesus a hard time in the gospels. But we need to step back and have a fuller, a better understanding of the role of a scribe, a teacher of the law. So let me give you that. For a long time, the priests functioned as the sole teachers of the people of Israel. When Moses was given the word of the Lord, the priesthood was created. We don't have scribes in the beginning. However, if you know your Bible history, if you recall it, when the nation of Israel split and then when both the northern and the southern kingdoms fell and the people were sent into exile, the priesthood was shaken up. And if you really know your Bible history, you'll remember that in some cases, the priesthood was compromised by foreign influences. So in that situation, having lost the land, the temple, and if you will, the purity of the priesthood, the law, the word of God, was all the people had left to hold on to. And hence, to anchor this, during the time of Ezra, the scribes arose. People whose task it was to record, copy, and recopy the word of God so that it would not be lost or forgotten. And because they were so immersed in the texts, They became devoted to the comprehensive study and interpretation of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They became devoted to the comprehensive interpretation, the study and interpretation of the first five books of the Bible and ultimately all of the Old Testament scriptures. The law and the prophets from Genesis all the way to Malachi to help you to give you a handle as you come. we come into the time of Christ when we hear Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes to help you to kind of sort it all out. While the Pharisees and the Sadducees were busy telling people how to keep the law, whenever there were questions or disputes, it was the role of the scribes to tell the people exactly what the Word of God said. In other words, these scribes were students of Scripture, experts, or teachers of the law. We would be our equivalent of what we would call today scholars, or theologians. And this is important for us to kind of recognize because we have this tendency today to defer the reading, studying, and sharing of the Word of God to this specific group of people. To scholars, to theologians, and we'll add in their pastors and teachers. But here, in this one verse, in this one final story, the way Jesus sees it, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, we are all, as disciples, called to become scribes. Those dedicated to reading, reflecting, and sharing the truth and the glory of the gospel. Beloved, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the responsibility to be a student and a teacher of the Bible, of the person of Christ, of the reality of the kingdom. It's not just my responsibility or Pastor John's or your favorite teacher or theologian or scholar. Beloved, it's our calling together. And the good news, if perhaps me telling you that, hearing that puts a lump in your throat or your heart starts to beat faster, the good news, as Jesus proclaims it here, is we don't just have the responsibility to teach, to read, and share the gospel. We are given the authority to teach others from the word of God. As Jesus here compares the scribe who has become a disciple to the owner of a house. And the owner of a house is the possessor, the steward of some property. The head of a household, as we know, has charge over the home. He or she has not just the responsibility, but also the authorization to care for, to provide for the estate, to share with those who come under his or her roof. We have been given authority to read, study, and share the Word of God. But the good news gets even better here as Jesus shares it for us. I mean, authorization is great, right? We all like authority, and all of us have had authority. But authorization is great until someone pushes back up against it. It gets tested, right? Authorization is fine, but it has to have something to back it up, right? Well, the good news gets even better. In our responsibility and authorization to feed the household... Jesus reveals we are also empowered. The head of the household Jesus describes here has a wealth of goods in his storeroom. There is an abundance from previous harvests, the old, that complements the new, the fresh meat, the fruits and vegetables his land now produces. Old and new together, from where does such a yield the surplus of past seasons and the harvest of the new season come from? The very hand of God. We are given authority, and we are empowered. Both the storehouse and the harvest are full for us as well. We are blessed beyond measure to have both the Word of God, the Bible that you are holding in your hand, and the Word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus speaks of something old and something new here, he's confirming for us the unity and not the separation between the Old and the New Testaments. And this is important, this little sidebar, because for us, when we hear old and new, it's very commonplace for us when something new comes to set aside the old, right? I mean, after all, isn't that the point of something new? To replace that which is old? But Jesus here teaches and affirms elsewhere we are to become readers, students, and teachers of both the new and the old. Both the Old Testament law and the prophets, which point towards the kingdom, as again, a few weeks back, John so, so brilliantly showed us. And find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are to read, study, and teach the New Testament revelations of the fullness of the kingdom through the work of the cross and the tomb and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Both old and new teaching give practical guidelines for faith, for living in the world. Both must be read, studied, and shared with others. Beloved, we have the very words God desired us to possess and through the authorization of our king and in the power of the Holy Spirit that word incarnate grabs hold and possesses us our hearts our minds, our souls if you're not hearing me we don't have to provide the bread we only have to share the bread the bread of life that is Jesus Christ that we have been given We'll change the color for you, the Kairos card. You want to pull this out right about now? Always two questions on here. What is God saying to me and what is God telling me to do about it? And sometimes people push back and they're like, I don't know what God's saying to me, so let me give you a question to write down that might help you. Are you in the word? Are you in the word? For the very word of God is before you. Are you reading? Are you studying? Are you meditating upon the word? Are you sharing the word? What are you waiting for? What gets in the way of revealing the kingdom? And that's what I'd like you to write down. What's getting in the way of receiving the kingdom? Because as we've learned, and let me hit it one more time the kingdom of heaven is not a geographical place. The kingdom of heaven is not an event that happens somewhere in the future. The kingdom of heaven is not some new theological idea or philosophy. The kingdom of heaven is at its essence an experience, a relationship with God, the Father, the creator of the universe emanating within you. Jesus declares the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is the person of Christ breaking the chains that bind you and by his blood washing you clean of all that stains, of all that disguises your true identity as a beloved son or daughter of the king. The kingdom of God is the spirit of God stirring within you, leading you, growing you, and maturing you into the joy, peace, and fullness of your destiny. Your destiny, not as a corpse occupying some marked grave, but as a resurrected whole and eternal life. What gets in the way? of receiving the kingdom. Because, beloved, we take possession of this gift, of this kingdom of Christ, by more than a personal decision we commit to one day on our knees and in our hearts. We take possession of this gift, of this kingdom of Christ, by more than a Sunday service we attend once a week or twice a month. We grab hold of this gift of Christ by relating to him, Knowing Him, learning from Him, following Him, and that comes by being diligent and passionate readers, studiers, and proclaimers of His Word. The key to the kingdom of truly knowing Jesus is the Word of God. Now, again, many of you probably still have that lump in your throat, your heart's beating really, really fast. And you will say, as many have said, many argue, you know, I would read more, I would study more, I would teach others even if I could just understand the Bible better. It's so hard. And I want, if that's you, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, if that's even crossed your mind at all, I want to say there's no disagreement that the Bible is a book that requires spiritual discernment. A relationship with Jesus Christ is a relationship that requires spiritual discernment. Reading, studying, and meditating upon the word of God and sharing it with others requires earnest prayer, focused attention, and a desire to hear from the Lord. So when you say it's too hard, my response to you, are you earnest in prayer? Is your t- attention focused? Do you desire to hear from the Lord? Because approached from this diligent posture of submission and expectation, you can be assured that God, through his Holy Spirit, will open your understanding and provide you with the instruction you need. That's a guarantee, that's a promise. How can you be sure, how can I say that? Because beloved, God purposes, God promises to feed you, to grow you. How can I say that this is true? By simply reflecting this back to you. How did you get this far? You're here, how did you get this far? Do you think you're here because of your own brilliance? Do you think you're here because of your own, you know, just uh, just your own decision and will? Do you think your free will is what's brought you here? If that's what you think, then we gotta start there. You're here because God has drawn you here, even if you are a spouse who is reluctantly here because you've been harangued by your spouse. God has drawn you here. You can ignore it, write that off all you want, but at some point you will confront the reality that you are here not by your own design, not by your own initiative, not by your own understanding. And if God can bring you this far, if God has brought you this far, if he has fulfilled that promise to meet you and to feed you, he's not going to stop. You will go forward and deeper as you have come here by the grace of God. But you have to press in, you have to rely on that grace. Something important not to miss here that I believe will assist our understanding of this invitation by Jesus. And it is an invitation. It's actually quite startling. If you have your Bible open again to that one verse, notice the direction of the progression here. The direction of the progression Jesus outlines. He says, and I'm giving you my paraphrase, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple. Therefore, every scribe, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple. Do you see the tension? We have a scribe, an expert, a teacher of the law, who is now being called to become a disciple. A student. Isn't it normally the other way around? Right? Right? You become a student in order to become an expert. And yet, here, Jesus is calling the scribes, the scholars, the teachers of the word of God to become students at his feet. In the context when Jesus is first saying this, this is shocking, it's quite surprising. I mean, you're telling the experts to go back to school. Right, well, do you see my PhD? Do you you understand my degrees? Have I shown you my resume? That's great, you need to go back to school. This is shocking and startling when Jesus first tells it, but I, I point it out to you because I actually find this word of Jesus to be quite compelling and encouraging for us. Because for most of us, being called, as, a, as the word has called us this morning, into reading, studying, and reflecting, and teaching God's word still might be overwhelming. We still might be sitting here just clenched, Right? Because even though we have the power of the Spirit to lead, guide, and instruct us as we've heard in the scriptures, even though we've heard that we've been given authority from Christ to proclaim and share His word with others, we still might be sitting here this morning tempted to believe we'll never get there. We'll never know enough. We'll never understand enough. We'll never remember enough. We'll never be able to translate it and make it make sense to others. In other words, we may still be sitting here afraid we'll never pass the test and graduate when it comes to sharing the gospel and teaching others about Jesus. Beloved, that's the matrix of the world. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. That's the matrix of the world, not the way it works in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Reading, studying, reflecting, and teaching others about the word of God isn't about passing the test, making the grade, or becoming an expert. It's about remaining a student, a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple is not a super Christian or a perfect saint. A disciple is a learner. You don't even have to understand everything to be a disciple, do you hear that? You don't even have to understand everything to be a disciple. We started this morning in the scriptures with Jesus asking the disciples if they really understood all these things, right? And they all answer without hesitation, yup, really? Really? Do they really understand? Well, in one sense, yes. For where they are now in their relationship with Jesus, they understand as much as they can. They're giving a sincere answer, yes. But we can question it, balk a little bit, because in another sense, no. Their understanding, as we know, will change, will grow, will expand once they witness their teacher nailed to a cross. Once they encounter an empty tomb, once they walk on the road to Emmaus, once they have the fire of the Spirit come raining down on them at Pentecost, their understanding will change, will grow. My friends, we don't have to understand everything about the kingdom, about Jesus to be a disciple, but we do have to be willing to learn, to see, to hear, to keep following him. Now, just to push back the other way in case some of us are really enjoying this message this morning and going, well, I'm quite learned. I I know quite a bit. I've studied. This is right in my wheelhouse, Pastor Chris. Thank you for educating the rest that they need to catch up to where I am. Just to push back the other way, all our knowledge and experience about the Bible and Jesus, while important and edifying, does not give anyone more access to the kingdom. Having a PhD or going to seminary, sorry John, doesn't put any of us first in line to the kingdom. You can do lots of mission trips and you should and you can do lots of acts of service to others but that doesn't move anyone onto the VIP list when it comes to the kingdom. That's the grace of the kingdom. We're all part of the kingdom, we're all still students. No one is the authority on Jesus. As disciples, we all share. We have all been given authority by Christ. No one person, no one church, no one denomination holds exclusive ownership or control over the power of the word of God. It is the power in the word of God, of Christ in us, the spirit at work through us that grows us as disciples, that grows the church. If I haven't had your attention yet this morning, buckle up, because I'm gonna get it now. Because here's the thing, you don't even have to believe all the right things to be a disciple. You don't even have to believe all the right things to be a disciple. You can have questions, you can have doubts, you can even get it wrong. Am I crazy? Just ask Thomas. Am I insane? Ask Peter. Am I nuts? Ask Paul. Questions, doubts, even getting it wrong is fine, for we are once again, all of us, after all, students of grace. But we have to be willing to admit when we're stuck. We have to be willing to confess when we're wrong, and we have to keep reading, reflecting, and pressing into the Word of God, the person of Christ. Someone wisely said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. The defining mark of a follower of Jesus is a lifelong learner from Jesus. The defining mark of a follower of Jesus is a lifelong learner from Jesus. All disciples of Christ are grounded in essential truths, but true disciples of Christ don't ever become complacent or arrogant in thinking they know it all. Wise, maturing disciples continue to remain open-minded, tender-hearted, and eager, recognizing the call to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Second Peter, to learn from Jesus is not exhausted, will not be finished on this side of eternity. In fact, such disciples perceive such learning as an act of worship. Reading the scriptures, praying the word of God, wrestling with biblical truths with others, sharing with others what, who we have discovered in Jesus. This isn't our homework. This isn't some academic or scholarly exercise to impress the teacher or to lord our presumed knowledge over others. Reading, studying, reflecting, and sharing what we are learning, internalizing, integrating, and practicing the truth of the gospel is how we worship our king. How we draw closer, go deeper, and emerge out of the fullness of who we are in Christ. And share with others the joy of being a part of the kingdom. I say this to you, and yet we look within the body of Christ. We look within the mirror. And there are lots of people within the body of Christ that profess to believe in Jesus. Lots of people who profess to believe in Jesus. But there are not as many disciples. People who are actually following Christ. The world looks at the church. And the world sees that there are lots of people who profess to believe in Christ. There are lots of Christians who can quote their Bibles, who claim to be studying and sharing the word of God. But the world fails to recognize very few ambassadors or representatives of the kingdom who actually seem to be learning from Jesus who are practicing what they preach about Jesus. My friends, to honestly follow Christ, to represent Jesus truthfully before others, we have to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. We have to submit, as Jesus has described it in a single sentence, to the inverted, humble journey of becoming like a child, of being a teacher who is first and always a disciple of going from becoming a master to becoming a student. A disciple, a student recognizes they have a need to learn something. A student recognizes they have a need to learn something and a student remains a student as long as they recognize this need, right? Do you recognize your need this morning? I, I, I don't know how many of you can relate to this, I actually enjoyed school. I liked going to school, but I did on occasion have across-the-board classes that I just did not like at all, that I, that were terrible, that were awful, that I hated, that were, I just, the time went so slow. It was just a, a complete waste of my time. I didn't learn a thing. Now if I'm completely honest with you as I reflect back on those particular classes, in some cases, it was because I had a bad teacher. But not in all cases. In some cases, I didn't get anything out of the class. I hated it. It was a terrible, torturous experience, not because I had a bad teacher, but because as I sat there, I perceived I had nothing to learn. And so I learned nothing. We don't have a bad teacher in Jesus Christ. (laughs) We have a Lord. We have a king. We have a savior in Christ. Beloved, do you perceive that you have something to learn? What is your need to learn? That's the second question you can write down, and I'm gonna to try to prime the pump. What do you need? What is your need to learn? What is your need to learn from Christ? Are you a person here this morning who is in need of reconciliation? Do you sit here and you are experiencing a strained relationship in your life, maybe a damaged relationship, God forbid, a broken relationship, and you are seeking to learn how to forgive another person? You are seeking maybe to learn how to be forgiven You are seeking to learn. You need to learn how to make peace. The kingdom of God is with you. Christ seeks. Christ promises to teach you how to be reconciled. Or maybe you're a person sitting here this morning and you're a person in need of restoration. You are enduring hurt a pain that just lingers and festers. Maybe you are stuck in a sickness, a long standing sickness, or an overwhelming grief, and you need to learn how to heal, how to be made whole. The kingdom of God is before you. Christ seeks, Christ promises to teach you how to be restored. Are you a person here this morning in need of redemption? Maybe that's your need. You need redemption been going on for a long time. You've been suffering this loss. You've been feeling it, man. Maybe you're so stuck, you're trapped in your circumstances, at least that's what it feels like. You just cannot get out of this box that seems to get smaller. You're imprisoned by an addiction, whatever it might be. You wanna stop, but you can't. You tell yourself you're gonna stop, but you won't. And you need to learn how to be set free. You need to learn how to rebuild, how to restart. The kingdom of God is before you. Christ seeks. Jesus promises to teach you how to be redeemed. Or maybe it's this simple. Maybe not the best way of putting it. You're here today and you're in need of wisdom. You're in need of wisdom. You're facing a decision. You're choosing a path. You're seeking direction. And you're needing to discern how to learn what is right and true, you're needing to discern what's right and true, which way to go. The kingdom of God is before you. Christ seeks, Christ promises to give you wisdom. And all of us, whether you perceive yourself or not, are leaders, and as we all sit here in leaders, because a leader is nothing more than someone who has resources and influence. And all of us, at some level, at some measure, have resources and influences. influence. We're all leaders, whether we're influence, leaders in our community, our neighborhood, our work, or our home. Here as a leader, maybe you need to learn how to lead. Maybe you need to learn how to lead. Maybe you are struggling how to balance, how to hold together compassion, generosity, and justice. Are you needing to learn how to lead? The kingdom of God is before you. Christ seeks, Jesus promises to teach you how to become the leader you are in him. In our lives, we are always focused. I know I am. You know what? I'm always focused on what's next, right? I want to know what are the steps. Tell me what's next and tell me what the steps are to get there. Can anybody else relate to that? I always want to get past the need. You with me on this? I always want to. I don't like talking about the need. I want to get past the need. I want answers. I want answers. Just give me the answers. And going back to school, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you sometimes in a class did not want to learn and so you just wanted to know the answers so you could pass the test? Crib sheet, got them from somebody else. I just want to know the answers so I can pass the test. That isn't how the kingdom works. That isn't going to cut it in the reign of God. We all want answers. We don't want to face the need. But the thing is, when you just want answers, You're not really committed to learning. We want to get past the need, but my friends, the need is what keeps our posture as a student. The need is what keeps us oriented as a disciple. The need is what keeps our eyes, our minds, and our hearts focused on Jesus. Here in Matthew 13 over these last few weeks, we have witnessed Jesus teaching his disciples how to understand life from a divine viewpoint, how to recognize this new, in-breaking, and all-consuming life under God's initiative and care. To enter into this kingdom, to experience it, to participate in it, to give witness to its glory, all that is necessary is a desire to learn, to grow, and a willingness to trust Jesus. All we have to do is live and learn from Christ. Live in and learn from Christ. Because the kingdom is like a seed. We can't force it to grow. The kingdom is like a harvest. We have to wait for it. The kingdom is like a treasure in a field. We'll stumble over it unexpectedly. And that's why Jesus says, don't worry about what is next. And instead, Jesus says, follow me, learn from me. Beloved, let us hear and understand to be a disciple of Jesus is more than simply to learn the truth about the kingdom. It is to live the truth of the kingdom as a student of Jesus, as an interpreter and teacher of this truth, as a witness to Christ through how we live before and with others, always giving an answer for the hope we have in everything we say and do, pointing to and sharing and giving glory to Jesus Christ. Amen.